Welcome to week number two uh, in our series that we're calling I Love My Church, and uh, we're continuing on in that right now. And I want to talk about uh, specifically in our time together today, the best day ever. You know, we all have different dates uh, in our lives that we consider like that's a really important date. And some of us, there are dates that have impacted all of our lives. Uh, let's look at a couple of these. For instance, July 4th, 1776 impacted every one of our lives long before we were even born. And that was what? When the, the Declaration of Independence was signed, when America really was birthed, the United States of America. And this is why we celebrate July 4th. And, and you know, in America, it's become a, I don't know, it's just a strange combination of fireworks and drunkenness for most people. And that's, that's just not even, think about that, how dangerous that is. But that's how we celebrate the birthday uh, of the United States, or many people anyway, not me personally, uh, just the fireworks part for me. But anyway, uh, how about this one? On October 31st, 1517. How many of you realize every one of you is impacted by that date? H have you ever read the Bible before? Let me just see. Anyone ever read a page of the Bible? It's because of what happened that date. October 31st, 1517. That was when Martin Luther, just 499 years ago this week, Martin Luther nailed his what's called 95 Theses, 95 Points, on the wall of the church, the door of the church, which was his disagreements with the Roman Catholic Church at the time uh, about some of the, the problems that were in the Roman Catholic Church. And that started the Protestant Reformation. Next year, October 31st, will be the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Here's the thing that's important to remember. It's because of Martin Luther that you have a Bible that you can read. Because until October 31st, 1517, if you went into a, if, if you went into a church uh, of any kind or a cathedral, there was a Bible, it was written in Latin, and it was chained to the pulpit. And no one spoke Latin. Only the priests understood Latin. And so the common people were not allowed to read the scripture. It wasn't available. And Martin Luther said, this is not right. And he was not only a, a priest, but he was also a scholar. And Martin Luther translated the entire Bible into the German language. He was German. And at the same time, the Gutenberg press, this, this high-tech invention, movable-type press, was invented. And the first thing that was ever printed on the Gutenberg press, the first movable-type printing press, was the Bible in the German language of the common person. Also, literacy in the world came up because of Martin Luther. Because now it was available for people. Books were, were able to be manufactured and processed so quickly and, and people literacy began to be an issue and people began to learn how to read. But it was because of Martin Luther that even if you use an app, it, the reason we have this today was Martin Luther in the, in the beginning of the Reformation. And that took place on October the 31st, 1517. These dates impact us in different ways. Sometimes there are days that we don't even know about. How about this one? November 20th, 1987. November 20th, 1987. It may not be significant to you, but you've been impacted by this date. I don't know if you remember. Maybe you remember where you were on November 20th, 1987. I remember where I was. It was when I threw my last Hail Mary pass as a quarterback. And I, I, I just, just 
swallow my pride, and I asked this girl out in college named Susie Warner. It was our first date, November 20th, 1987, and I'd like to think you've probably been impacted as a result of that, whether you knew it or not. We're coming up on 29 years since we've been a couple. That's impossible because we're only 32. So anyway, uh, but November 20th, 1987. <clears throat> How about this one, May 20th, 1990. Where were you on May 20th, 1990? Do you know you were impacted, whether you recognize it or not, you were impacted by what happened on May 20th, 1990? That was the day I was ordained as a pastor in this church. May 20th, 1990. You may not realize it. You may have never even thought about that date before. But the fact about the matter is you were impacted by it. And you're being impacted by it right now. Even, even if you're watching on an online campus. May 20th, 1990. And then I just have to share this one. Uh, August 18th, 1990. That's when Susie and I were married. And I'd like to think probably impacted you indirectly as well. Because I know... <laughs> I'm a better man. I'm, I, I don't know who I would be if it weren't for her. And, and uh, you know what they say, behind every good man is a surprise mother-in-law. And, and so uh, August 18th, 1990, these dates. And, and what I want to share today, our time together, I, I want to talk about the best day ever. A day that maybe you don't even realize, like some of these days that I shared, but a day that impacted your life before you even drew your first breath. And, and I, I want to talk about the significance of this day as we're talking about I love my church. I want to talk about the birth. I want us to look at the birth of the church. The, the birth of the Christian church. Because so many times what we see now, what we, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word church. What's the first thing that entered your mind? But, but I'll bet this, it's not anything that entered people's minds 2,000 years ago when they heard the word church. Far, far from what, what people in the New Testament thought of when they would hear that word church. And, and so just real quick review, let's go back to uh, our, 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 kinda, our verse for this series, I Love My Church. It's found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and this is where we actually get the title from, I Love My Church. Jesus was speaking here, and he said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And, and this word here, I had it highlighted, it's the Greek word ekklesia. Now here's the interesting thing. That Greek word ekklesia, do you know what it means? Literally, it means a people who are called out. That's what an ecclesia is. It has, it has nothing to do with hymns. It has nothing to do with pews. It, it has nothing to do with sheetrock or buildings at all. And, and many times we get tripped up by that word build and we think construction, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about, I will build my people that I call out from the world. That's what the church is. The church is not a steeple, the church is people. I will build my people, the church. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Two months after Jesus' resurrection, about really 57 days after his resurrection, his followers gathered together. And, and they didn't know exactly what was going to happen. The, the writer uh, 
uh, of the book of Acts, Luke, who also wrote the gospel of Luke, tells us that after the resurrection that Jesus spent 40 days teaching his followers about the kingdom of God. And we don't have any, except what we're going to look at right now, we don't have any of the other teachings of Jesus over those 40 days. We just know what the topic was. That Jesus taught his followers after his resurrection for 40 days about the kingdom of God. And really, that's the whole theme of, of, of the gospel. As you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over and over, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. And so he did that for 40 days. And then he told them, after he told them all of this stuff about the kingdom of God, he said, listen, don't go and tell people about this. Don't go public with this news. Don't, don't share what I just shared with you. Don't share that with anyone. He says, because something has to happen first. Before you go and before you share who I am and what I'm all about, they're, they're looking at the resurrected Jesus. He says, don't go yet. Something else has to happen in your life. He says, I'm going to go to our Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit. And then we pick up the story here in Acts chapter 1. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time in Acts chapter 1 and 2 during our time together. It's about the birth of the Christian church. In Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, it says, Then they gathered around him and they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're like, is this a time you're going to kick out Rome? You're, you're going you're to uh, lead an army against Caesar, and you're going to overthrow the, the Roman Empire that is just, just totally dominating the world at this time? And you kind of get the feeling when you read some of this that Jesus is just going like, are you sure about this, God? Is this even going to work? Because they just, the, his followers, are just, they just don't understand. They just don't get it. And look at what Jesus actually says in response. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. He, he says, in essence, is this, he's like, is, you're never going to know the time when, when God's going to wind this whole thing up. When he's going to bring an end to all time and, and firmly establish his kingdom on earth forever and ever and ever. Now, now I, I know people on TV will tell you they know when the time is, when Jesus is going to return. But the only problem with that is Jesus said, we're not going to know the time. He said, you're not going to know it. It's not for you to know that. It's not for you to know the times or the dates. And people say, but we can have a good idea. No, it's not for us to know it. Here's what I believe with everything in me. Anytime you hear someone say, I remember we were in college, and this, boy, this is a bestseller book came out. 88 reasons why Jesus was going to return in 1988. It's 2016. Then, then after 1988, they did the follow-up. 89 reasons. Oops, we missed a reason. And people just, just buying, buying, buying the books. Here's one thing I believe with everything. You ever hear someone say, I know when Jesus is returning on this date, just mark that off the calendar. He's not going to come on that day. Just despite him. Just despite him. It's not going to happen. I think there are two professions you can have in this world and have 100% job security. You know what they are? A weatherman and Bible prophecy expert. Because you can be wrong every time and still keep your job. I've never seen anything like it. There's never once been a Bible prophecy expert that's been right about anything. Not once. He says, you're not going to know the time. But then he goes on and listen to what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. 
You'll be my witnesses. We'll unpack this word in just a minute. Where are you going to be my witnesses, Jesus? In Jerusalem, that's where they were, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to have everything you need to impact the entire world. But don't go yet until I pour out my Holy Spirit. Don't do it yet. And you'll be my witnesses. What is a witness? Think about it in a court scene. What is a witness? It's someone who says, this is what I saw. This is what I experienced. That's what a witness is. Now, can I really just mess with you? Just peel back a little bit? Do you know what this word witness actually is in Greek? The original language of the New Testament? Jesus says, you will be my martyrs. It's the Greek word martyr. Remember what we talked about last week? About less of me, the end of me, dying to myself? He says, you're going to die to yourself, all right. And as you die to yourself, you will experience the life I mean, I created you to live. And you'll share with everyone that you come in contact with, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You'll share with them what you have experienced and what you have seen. You'll be my martyrs. And the fact about the matter is, there's about 120 of the disciples, the 11 that were left after uh, Judas betrayed Jesus, the 11, 10 of them were actually martyred. The only one that wasn't martyred, according to church history, was the Apostle John. And they actually tried to, the Roman Empire had him boiled in oil, and he survived. And then he went to, the, they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation, when God appeared to him, when Jesus appeared to him. But he says, you'll be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. One who testifies to or affirms something. He says, you're going to testify about me. You're going to proclaim me from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, even to the outermost parts of the earth. And you know what? So he sent him back to Jerusalem, and then Jesus returns to our Heavenly Father. He ascends to our Heavenly Father. And they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and two weeks go by. And they're wondering, what in the world's going on? And then one of the feasts in Israel, they're in Jerusalem, that would bring not only those that were Jewish, but those who had converted to Judaism from all over the world at that time would come for this particular feast called the Feast of Pentecost. And when Jerusalem was jam-packed for this feast called Pentecost, Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit and they experienced the power of God. And you say, well, how do you know? This is what happened. The Holy Spirit fell upon them, and they began to speak in languages they had never learned before. They began to speak in languages, the Bible, in tongues. And the people that were there for the festival of Pentecost heard all the things being explained about Jesus in their native tongues, in their native language. But those followers of Jesus had never gone to school. They never learned these languages. It was a supernatural experience that they had. And they came and said, what is going on? We hear all this in all of these different languages. Listen, I took French, okay, in high school for three years. I can count to three. <laughs> uh, 
deux, trois. Three years. I learned one number each year. Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit on this group, this 120. And they experience the power of God. And they begin to praise God. But what comes out is not Hebrew. It's not necessarily Greek, which was also one of the, the main language at the time. It's all these different languages. And the people that are gathered in Jerusalem are saying, what is this we hear? What is this that we hear? What is going on? And this is exactly what Jesus promised would happen. Luke in Acts chapter 2 records 14 different languages were spoken supernaturally. 14 different groups of people and, and, and languages and, and, and diverse dialects heard the good news of Jesus Christ in their own language. 14 different groups. Now, I know we have a diverse church, and, and I wonder if we gathered everyone together, I bet you we still wouldn't have 14 different languages. But that's what literally happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And they began to ask as they heard the glory of God being proclaimed in their own language. You can read it for yourself in uh, Acts chapter 2. Thanks to Martin Luther. You can read it for yourself. And they began to ask, what's going on? What is happening here? And then Peter stood up and he addressed the crowd that was hearing the glory of God being proclaimed in their native tongue because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And this is where I want to pick it up. And what I want to do is I want to read Peter's response. And this is a little lengthy. If you have your app, you can follow right along. It's right there with you from Acts chapter 2. And this is kind of important because this is Peter's sermon is recorded for us. And so this is, in a sense, to not, to, during our time together, this is a sermon about a sermon, okay? So I want to read Peter's sermon in response to their, like, what in the world is happening here? What does all this mean? In verse 22 of Acts chapter 2, it says, Jesus, uh, Peter addresses the crowd. And listen to this for the first sermon. This is a barn burner here. He says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, by wonders and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This wasn't a debate. These were people who firsthand had seen the miracles that Jesus had performed. Verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, think about this, he goes, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, now Peter, and the Holy Spirit is supernaturally giving him this insight. Peter begins to quote from the Old Testament, from Psalms, things that King David wrote. And they did have the Old Testament this time. And the Holy Spirit is just connecting these dots for Peter. And Peter is quoting now King David's writings in Psalms. It says, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will live in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. 
It's amazing. The Holy Spirit is like just downloading this into Peter's mind as he's addressing the people that heard the 120 followers of Jesus declaring his glory in their native tongue. And it goes on in verse 29. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. And he probably could have just pointed over to it. He probably could just point over, and his tomb's over there, or they knew where David's tomb was at this time, 2,000 years ago. But he was a prophet, Peter goes on and says, about David's writing in the Old Testament. He was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ. David prophetically in Psalms spoke of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses. We are all witnesses of the fact. Now think about this statement again, historically. Peter is saying this, and they're not saying like, no, that's not true. The Bible makes it clear that after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to over, I think the number's like 240 people. 240 that saw him alive after being crucified. And Peter says, we saw him, we saw his resurrection. And the crowd doesn't say, oh, get out of here. That's just an old wives' tale. It's just some kind of, you know, uh, I don't know what that is. That's some kind of ritual, you know, mumbo jumbo or something like that. That's some kind of craziness. They don't even question it. Because it's reality. We questioned it 2,000 years ago. But those that we actually witnessed it. We actually saw it. We're witnesses. We're martyrs to this faith, to this fact. And then verse 33. Um, it says, exalted to the right hand of God, he was received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Peter says, this is what Jesus was promising about the Holy Spirit being poured out. And then it says in verse 34, for David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, and again he's quoting from the Old Testament and Psalms, things that David wrote, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, man, Peter's got some guts. Listen to what he says. Let all Israel be assured. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What are we supposed to do in response to this? Isn't that amazing? They don't say, oh, I'm not so sure. I don't see, you know, this whole resurrection, that's just superstition. Come on, Peter, you're not really. The crowd said, what should we do in response to this? They were convicted. In their hearts, they're like, we've got to do something. This, this is the truth, what we've heard. We, we, we have to do something in response to what Peter said. He's right. He's right. What shall we do? And Peter replied, attend church every week. 
No, he didn't. It's a joke. He didn't, he didn't say that. Because that wouldn't have made any sense at all. They would have been like, attend what? In their mind and thinking and understand, they'd be like, how can you attend a church? That's an impossibility. For us, 2,000 years later, we think church very different than what they did. Remember, what is the church, the ecclesia? It's Jesus' called out people. We think steeple, but it's not steeple. It's people. And so he didn't say attend church. He's like, how can you attend yourself? That doesn't make any sense. He didn't say that. Or, or he would have said, don't miss mass. That wouldn't have made sense either. Let's look at what Peter said in response. Look at what he said. Don't miss this now. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized. He said, that's how you respond to this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just stop right here for just a second. I think this is very important, and I'll show you. This is not the only time that this happens. This is repeated over and over and over, actually. I'll show you another example, but you can check it out on your own. Peter begins to identify a process. Peter begins to identify a, a pathway that comes from God and says, this is how you respond when God touches your heart. You realize, I need help. I'm a sinner. What is the response? First of all, it's a conscious decision. Repent. Notice the process. Step one before step two. Repent and then be baptized. This is the process over and over and over throughout Scripture. An individual repents. They turn from their sin, saying, God, I need to, to be forgiven of my sins, and I receive what Jesus Christ did for me through his perfect life and his death on the cross in my place and his resurrection. Repent and then be baptized. This word repent means to turn around. It's like an about face, 180 degrees, and go back in the opposite direction. This word baptize is the Greek word baptismo. It's very interesting. And I know I'm hitting you with some Greek, but I think it helps. Hopefully it doesn't confuse. It is the Greek word baptismo. And do you know what it literally means if we translate it right from Greek into English? Do you know what the word baptismo means? Dunk. It means to dunk. You didn't realize it this morning when you went to get coffee that you went to baptismo donuts. That's literally what it means in Greek. Dunking to dunk. It means to immerse. It's not a religious term at all. In fact, you know what it is? It's a military term. Baptismo is a military term. When a navy, the Roman navy would go out and they would battle on the sea. When one of the ships sank to the bottom, they would say, baptismo. That's the Greek word for baptism. Baptismo. It means to dunk, to immerse completely. Peter says, repent of your sins, turn from your sins, trust in Jesus' sacrifice for your life, and be baptized, be dunked. This is the process. Step one, I have to make the decision and repent of my sins. Step two, then I follow in this example of being baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Watch this now. It goes on and says, this promise 
So this is an awesome thing, a promise that God makes. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, to, uh, for all whom the Lord, our God, will call. And you know who he's talking about right there? He's talking about you and me. Because right here, where we sit right now in Hopewell Junction, we're far off from Jerusalem, aren't we? So geographically, we're far off. And guess what? Chronologically, we're really far off. We're 2,000 years off. And Peter says, this promise... It is for you and for your children. It's for generations to come. That, that when we have this realization of who Jesus actually was, that, that he, he lived a perfect life, he died a sacrificial death, God raised him from the dead, and, and he ascended back to our Heavenly Father. And because of Jesus, not because of me, because Greg's never going to be good enough, but because of Jesus, when I realized because of what he did, I can receive forgiveness of my sins. Peter says, turn from them. Repent. Make that decision to trust Jesus and be baptized. And this is a promise. It's for you and your children, for all who are far off, not just geographically, but chronologically as well. For all whom the Lord, our God, will call. That's you and me. He calls you. And he calls me. In Acts chapter 2, verse 40, it says, With many other words, he, that's Peter, warned them. And he pleaded with them. Don't miss this now. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. How do you do it? How do you say corruption's nothing new? Corruption didn't start in the 21st century. How do we save ourselves from this corrupt generation? Is it by trying to be good enough, trying to be a better person, trying to just be really, really kind for as long as we can until we blow it and then just trying really hard again? No. Peter makes it abundantly clear. How does it happen? Let's look at it. Those who accepted his message were baptized. Do you see the conscious decision? No one could make that decision for someone else. I can't make it for my wife. I can't make it for my children. Those who accepted his message, Peter's message, were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the birth of the church. Day one, 3,000 people. 3,000 people. The first day of the church. It was an incredible day, an amazing day. It was the best day ever, the best day ever. And, and maybe you've never actually read that in Scripture before. I encourage you to. Acts chapter 2. But that day is still impacting you to this day. And you may have never even heard that before. You may just be here kind of like trying to figure out like, okay, I want to try this God thing. What, what is this all about? Why do people even care? But, but what happened 2,000 years ago, it's still impacting you today. Just like I shared at the beginning about October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther. That the very reason why we have the Bible in our hands in the common language of people, now translated in all different kinds of languages, was because of something that happened 499 years ago this week. You may not have even known it, but we all have heard of the Bible before, and and. and Many have read it and read it every day. It's the best day 
ever, ever. I'm going to share with you another date. Look at this date. We'll put it up on the screen. November 6, 2016. Hadn't even come yet, has it? November 6, 2016. This date right here, there are some people, some of you, others in the Valley family, this date is going to change their life forever. And they'll never be the same. And when they share with their friends and their family the significant dates in their life, they're going to say, let me tell you about November 6th, 2016. Because we are going to celebrate baptism at 6 o'clock on November 6th, 2016. Last week, we had 20 people that were signed up to be baptized, to follow Jesus' example. Jesus himself was baptized. You can read it yourself. Thanks to Martin Luther in the gospel. Jesus was baptized, and he commanded his followers to be baptized, to follow his example and his commandment to be baptized. We don't have 20 anymore. We have 36 now that are signed up. And the number just keeps climbing more and more and more and more and more. Why? Because folks realize he's real. Jesus did it for me. And I want to follow his example and his commandment to be baptized. And do you know what? For 36 people, and I believe there's going to be even more, they're going to say, November 6, 2016, was the best day ever. Ever. There's one date I didn't share with you. July 10th, 1977, was the day that little Greg Williamson was baptized. And you know what? I was nine years old. But the reality is, I've got these degrees and all these letters after my name. Ever since that day, God has filled that moment in my life with more and more and more meaning. And you know what? It was the best day ever. It was the best day ever. And so what I want, if you've been baptized, I want to invite you to join us at 6 o'clock. At 6 o'clock so that we can celebrate with those 36. Because you know what? It's going to be the best day ever. If you haven't been baptized, you, you, you can still join at 6 o'clock and be baptized. Repent of our sins first. Turn, make that conscious decision. I'm not trusting in Greg's good deeds and good works and righteousness. I'm trusting in Jesus' perfection. He died in my place. He died in your place. And God raised him from the dead. And I'm trusting in Jesus. He's the one who's forgiven me of my sins. I'll never earn that. He paid the price. There's no way I could ever pay myself. Just as Jesus predicted, people began to rally around and gather around this one idea. Jesus is the resurrected Christ, the son of the living God. 
Just like Peter said that we looked at last week when he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. People began to gather around. You know why? Maybe you didn't realize this. I don't like to use the word services very much for church services. Because sometimes I think we get it confused. We think it's like we're here to be served. You know what I think is a better word? This is 1072 Route 82 in Hopewell. This is where the church gathers. We have a gathering on Thursday night. We have gatherings of the church because the church is not a steeple. The church is not a building. The church is people. Jesus died for people, not buildings. He said, I'll build my church, my ecclesia, my called out people, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, so you know what happens at Regal Cinemas on Sunday mornings in Poughkeepsie? That's, that's where the church gathers at 930. It gathers. Here's the thing. If you said to someone 2,000 years ago, a Christian, hey, it's Sunday, let's go to church, they'd be like, are you nuts? They, they, they can't even comprehend that. Because it's an impossibility. It's impossible to go to church because we are the church. We are the church. So, so look at this. The church wasn't for church people. That, that, that's not the church. The church was not for church people. That, that, that's, that, that they weren't any church people. The church wasn't about a location. That, that's not what the church is. It's not about a location, so I'm going to the church. It's about people. There wasn't any location. Notice that it doesn't say where they were when this even happened. It's not about a location. The, the church wasn't about any style or ritual. You know why? There weren't any rituals. There weren't any styles. What is the church? What is the church really all about? Jesus said, I'll build my church. As clear as I can make it. As we're talking about the best day ever. The birth of the church. The mission of the church was to do one thing and one thing only. To create followers of Jesus Christ. That was the mission of the church. To create followers of Jesus Christ. And all throughout the history, for the last 2,000 years, the defining action is baptism. When someone repents of their sins, makes that personal decision for themselves, and then follows in Jesus' example and his commandment to his followers, be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 28, he said that. The mission of the church was to do one thing, create followers of Jesus Christ. From that day forward, there's always been a group who refused to let go of that ideal. Our mission is to create more followers of Jesus Christ. They refused to make Christianity about a building. Instead, missionaries and Jesuits and church planners and evangelists and Bible translators and pastors and student pastors and Bible smugglers and teachers have sacrificed time and energy and sometimes even their lives with this one ideal 
Jesus wants us to create more followers. That we would be the church. People like you who give and serve and invite and cheer when someone is baptized. People that won't let go of this. That this is what Jesus said we're supposed to be about all the time. Creating more followers who repent of their sins and are baptized and live their lives the way Jesus instructed us to live with him at the center. When we pray for the sick, we're the church. When we care for someone, we're the church. When we share with someone hope that's found in Jesus Christ, we're the church. When we say in those moments of decisions in our lives, maybe not even in these exact words, but this idea, Father, not my will, yours be done. We're the church. Jesus died for the church. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. And that day when we realize that, it becomes the best day ever and changes us from that point forward as we follow him. That's why we do everything that we do here at Valley Christian Church. That's why we gather like this. That's why we have growth tracks so we can grow and understand and learn more about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. That's why we have short-term groups. That's why we have four services in two different locations, four gatherings. That's why we have community groups. That's why we have outreaches into our community because this is the mission to create more followers of Jesus Christ. I share with you a really big day in my life. Obviously it was the day that I got married to my wife, but one of those other dates it was May 20th, 1990. Since that day, I have had the privilege and the honor of a front row seat as pastor in this church to watch the risen Jesus Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit transforming people's lives. And there's nothing like it in the world. And you know what? I love my church. I love his church. I'm so honored and humbled to be a part of his church. We're going to just end right there. And let me just say this. I hope the next time that you hear the word church, that you don't think of a building. I, I hope what you think of is instead a, a multiplying multicultural, multi-generational gathering of people, followers of Jesus Christ, who that believe that Jesus is the Savior and are living by the power of the Holy Spirit, lives that reflect that reality day in and day out. We're going to pick up the story next week. 
let me just say this. Thanks to Martin Luther, if you want to, you can read ahead. Just keep reading after Acts chapter 2. And that's where we're going to be at as we pick up this, uh, this series again. I love my church. Will you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for that date that we can't even stick a, a pin in the calendar and know exactly what day it was. That day of Pentecost some 2,000 years ago when your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, poured out his spirit upon those 120 people gathered, his followers. And Lord, the church was birthed that day. And 3,000 people turned from their sin and they followed Jesus' example and his commandment to be baptized. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that every one of us in the hearing of my voice right now, we've been impacted by that day. And when we realize how much you love us by sending your son to sacrifice his life, lay it down for us, and that he rose again, and that he's with you now, Lord, that day becomes the best day ever. Thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.